This is not about saying you should prioritise one group over another. This is about saying you want the broadest talent pool possible. You want to access the skills and capabilities of everyone. And you want to make sure that you're spotting the potential that people have to be really effective, build their skills, build their capabilities, perform excellently. And if all of that is counterbalanced by the idea that just one group of people with one set of qualifications and one kind of background are the only ones that can be successful, we're not making sense economically, we're not making sense in productivity, and you're certainly not going to find the talented people that we need. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Glad to have you here. Uh, hopefully, by the time you're getting this, the uh, the great thaw from the freeze that we've had in the middle of January has taken uh, has taken hold. Certainly, I enjoyed wandering out around the field, uh, fields close to home this morning at first light, crunching through the ice, uh, the ice and frost. Uh, I'm not sure I'm keen for it to persist forever. But January started with a bit of a bang at the REC. We had uh, a ministerial meeting in the first week back on the 4th of January. And just on the 22nd of January, we've published our general election manifesto. Now, the manifesto it is early, but we wanted to get it out because who knows when R- Rishi Sunak pulls a trigger on the election. We know will, that will happen sometime between now and this time next year. Um, But we wanted to set out a really clear manifesto for how you grow and build a prosperous UK. And today's podcast is part of that, actually, which we'll go on to explain in a second. Um, The manifesto is very focused on helping politicians and policymakers understand the myriad ways that people want to work and their lived experiences in the labour market right now, so that we can focus in on policies that really make the best of all of the talents of these islands, because that's the way that we can lift living standards, but also build those really high quality businesses that drive really great performance in our economy and ultimately allow the tax burden to come down and public service quality to go up. So a really big focus on getting the people stuff right, being a huge priority for an incoming government. So do take a look at the manifesto. I think it's uh, focused and it'll be the core uh, tool that the REC will be using to make the case for you over the rest of this year. We're also going to uh, pick up on uh, that with some great new polling work on the voice of temporary workers, help them explain what they want from an incoming government and of course from all of us. So that's a big publication. Another publication coming soon is our Aim Higher report and that's our advice to clients on how to buy on value not price, particularly focused on the difference they can make to their own businesses by doing procurement well. And the last thing I'll point you to that's going on uh, at the moment is our jobs outlook data. That's out on the 25th of January. Jobs outlook is our client survey. And what's interesting there, despite some more disappointing economic data in January, inflation not dropping as much um, and retail sales in December relatively poor, actually our client data has suggested an anecdotal feedback from members since the start of the year has picked this up as has suggested more positivity coming starting to come through now that might take a little while to come through it might be the middle of the year before we see a real recovery 
but we'll be looking at that data to see if that positivity is sustained as we go into 2024. So lots going on at the REC. I said I wanted to pick at one of those themes from the manifesto, and that's about how we help people give their best in the labour market, not just to in, uh, to uh, grow our economy, but also to build the lives that they want. And I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Atkinson from the Social Mobility Foundation today. Sarah, welcome to the REC podcast. Thank you, Neil. Lovely to be here. Sarah, before we start, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Social Mobility Foundation itself? Yes, so uh, Social Mobility Foundation, we're a charity. We've been doing what we do for coming up for 20 years now. And what we do is we exist to work with and for young people who are full of aspiration and ambition and talent. But because of the backgrounds they come from, they're less likely to achieve the ambitions that they have. Um, They come from low income backgrounds. They've grown up in families where people haven't been to university before, haven't worked in professional careers before. And so they are what the jargon would say is structurally held back. They face barriers in being able to achieve what they're capable of. And that is where we come in. We work with them on programmes to help them to access work experience, careers and and support. And we work with employers, with businesses to help them to identify the barriers they're putting in place that mean our young people can't be as successful as they should be and to help them to dismantle some of those barriers so that talent can thrive and talent can succeed. Fantastic. And I think this speaks to something that a lot of recruiters hold dear because we are traditionally a sector that has um, a lot of entrepreneurialism, a lot of people building businesses in recruitment uh, who are coming from working class backgrounds There's a real sense of uh, wanting to build something, a real uh, a, a real uh, sense of the difference you can make in in the psyche of our sector. So that that piece around social mobility is something I've heard many of our members articulate as personally important to them and you've pointed already to the the value the foundation delivers for young people but just for a second let's stand back from that and ask ourselves the question for the for the foundation why does social mobility matter for all of us uh, for for the UK as a country what's the difference making progress in the charity's work delivers Yes. So as as you've said, and as many of your your members will will absolutely recognise, there is uh, there's a deep injustice in the idea that how hard you work and how how good and effective you are may matter less when it comes to your career success, your outcomes, your earning potential than where you grew up the family you grew up with, the school that you went to. That feels really wrong. It is wrong. It's it's unjust. It's also, and again, many of your members will absolutely understand this, it's also really ineffective when it comes to our economic progress, our productivity, because if we only recruit from and give opportunities to a narrow group of people, we're missing out on some really important skills and capabilities, um, particularly when we think about the young people that we work with, young people from tougher working class, low income backgrounds, the understanding of cost consciousness and value for money that comes from not having had 
a lot of money when you're growing up. The ability to problem solve, manage tricky situations, um, a, a grit and a determination that comes from things not having come easy. And of course, an understanding of different perspectives, different people, different communities. This is not about saying you should prioritise one group over another. This is about saying you want the broadest talent pool possible. You want to access the skills and capabilities of everyone. And you want to make sure that you're spotting the potential that people have to be really effective, build their skills, build their capabilities, perform excellently. And if all of that is balanced, counterbalanced by the idea that just one group of people with one set of qualifications and one kind of background are the only ones that can be successful. Yeah, we're we're not making sense economically. We're not making sense in productivity. And you're certainly not going to find the talented people that we need, which is what your your sector, your members are all about. That is fantastic sir because it's the it's the coal face the kind of microeconomic individual person coal face of a story that we tell a lot in our sector which is that there's 39 billion pounds of growth on the table and that's growth that pays wages it's growth that funds the nhs it's growth that uh that builds infrastructure it's growth that funds schools um if we address the shortages that this country faces in labour and skills and 39 billion pounds a year is two elizabeth lengths a year um and that can feel a bit up in the air to people you know what's 39 but 39 billion is a big number a million is a big number a hundred billion is a big number what does it mean in reality it's the agglomeration of exactly those stories that you were just telling it's about having that broader candidate pool that more people coming in to your processes, but then also more people finding their way through their processes and actually what uh, your processes. And actually, that's one of the things I wanted to to pick at a little bit, because clearly. You know, there's two things here is one. Do young people see the opportunities that exist? And there's a lot, I think, that recruiters can do in terms of outreach, in terms of supporting things like the Gatsby benchmarks and uh, and the, and experiences. So people understand that, for instance, a supermarket isn't just people who drive trucks and people who put things on shelves. That you know, a supermarket has a software business and it has uh, coaching logistics planners and all of these things that are actually in many ways as or more critical to the organization but there's also then if somebody puts their hand up for a job how do they navigate a a process that might be designed without the understanding of their starting point so i know one of the phrases you've used is in the past is contextual recruitment what do you mean by that what do you mean by kind of how the foundation would encourage recruiters both in-house and um and in agency to think about their processes to help reach more of these people and then draw them through yeah so recruitment processes absolutely you know there's a there's a, there's a whole podcast about just about recruitment processes but the the tendency of processes can often be 
to hold young people back who have talent but who are already underrepresented and underestimated and that is sometimes about knowledge and their own ability to give of their best in that process because they understand it and they understand what it's looking for and it's sometimes about the the extra barriers built into that process from the recruitment side where perhaps experience or a particular kind of presentation or particular aspects qualifications just a comfort level um, can all be scored as looking like the sorts of behaviors and capabilities of a, a very successful person but they're very strongly associated with being from a more privileged background with a better network so if we take the knowledge side thinking about the young people that we work with because you're absolutely right you know although some they're all hugely ambitious and, and hugely driven um, some of them have a name for what it is they want to achieve, but very many of them don't. They don't know exactly what it is called or what it is that they want to do um, because they don't know. They've grown up in an environment where people do not do a wide variety of skilled and professional jobs. They have probably been to a school where careers, advice and support is is relatively limited and relatively narrow. So they don't always know what what it looks like. And they certainly don't know how those kind of decisions are made. They they don't have usually great insight into what a recruiter is looking for, what good answers look like, what's an assessment centre what's what's the difference between skills based and strengths based what's a competency you know all those sorts of things can confuse can befuddle can be quite off-putting in the first place and certainly it can make it difficult to show your best and a lot of our work at the foundation with young people is helping them to give of their best and equip them um, whether that's through a mentor uh, a workshop that we've given, a particular advice, a buddy supporting them through recruitment recruitment processes um, or uh, additional stages and second looks that recruiters will put in place to say, I do not want to miss this talent mm. because the, the process is un- uncomfortable and unfamiliar. We like to trust the process, you know, ultimately because they're, they're designed to to lead as a to an answer but as you say kind of group exercises that favor people who went to school were holding your own in uh in a debate was something that everyone worked on and was mainstream it's very different to a group exercise if you've if you've never been in that place before so there's something here about process design and also something about um pro- appropriate support to candidates for processes isn't there Absolutely. And a lot of what we do as a charity working with young people is is putting that appropriate support in place. It's also, again, from a candidate's point of view, um, if you are familiar with or you've got family or networks who are familiar with how recruitment processes work, one of the things that you will understand is the likelihood of success in any one particular process. And what that means about what you should do next, what feedback you should take on, what you should do next. And of course, as well, if you are better off, then on a practical level, you may simply be able to put more time and effort into your applications and going through processes. The young people we work with, they they don't have financial resilience. So 
the importance of getting a job and getting paid is quite significant. But also there's something in that understanding and resilience that that we find, the young people we work with, when they get knocked back, they think, well, that's it. That's because it's never going to come off for me. Mm. I'm not successful. Time to give it up. They don't necessarily know that it's very normal to, particularly in very challenging competitive recruitment environments, it's very normal not to be successful in your first application or in your first round. So sometimes our, that contextual support as well is understanding the whole process of finding your opportunities and and not just that one single pass-fail decision. Uh, really important to think about that context for young people. There's so much in there. Um, you were talking about financial st- um resilience and you know just things as simple as uh, making sure you're covering the costs for for young people to get to to however you're doing your selection center or you're doing it in ways that are, are accessible um things like kind of the the drafting of the qualifications that you're uh, both large queue qualifications and small queue qualifications that you're asking for people to demonstrate and making sure that those are not inherently off-putting to someone who's maybe lacking a bit of confidence. These all seem like things that, you know, like any kind of reform to process, things which 25 or 30 or 35 years ago we wouldn't have thought of, but these processes are no longer fit for purpose unless we we review them for social inclusivity. Is that reasonable? It's absolutely right. And and that growth in our understanding, in our ability to make change in, in really good examples of big, serious businesses that have made these changes and benefited from them. You know, all of that has grown significantly. One of the things, as you know, Neil, that we offer uh, to help businesses, to help recruitment side to improve is, is the opportunity to take part in the social mobility employer index that's something mm. that we run which which gives you know, really detailed feedback to businesses on on change they could make and in the years that we have been running that and offering that feedback we have seen huge changes in the way that businesses are focusing on this at the very beginning it was a big ask to get employers to collect socioeconomic background data to understand who was applying and being successful in their processes at all, never mind to examine why. Now we're seeing a third of the businesses that we work with in the index have got social mobility targets that they've been public about and that they're held accountable to. It's a huge movement, huge direction. And these are not organisations that are doing it purely because they understand that it's the fair and right thing to do. These aren't charities. These are businesses who know that this is the best way for them to get the talent, the skills, the retention, the workforce that they need to do their jobs and their work. So it's exciting to see that direction. But there's there's so much more that we need to build on to, to really make those opportunities fair. I think that that's incredibly powerful and I think the index is a hugely important tool because of course 
what we need as companies to think about is actually to look is to think about the things that we don't think about um it's very easy to passively take a view that your your processes are inclusive you actually have to actively go and make them inclusive to 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 get really strong process i was going to ask you actually on that about the state of lived experience at the moment about the feedback of young people that you're working with on what works and doesn't work in processes because i think it's very important for us as kind of leaders in the field to reflect on the fact that you know i'm very proud of coming from a working class background but I, you know i left school over 30 years ago um my experience is not relevant to young people seeking um seeking work today so what's the state of feedback about processes and the things that young people pick out when they're talking to the foundation now in terms of what works and what doesn't work yes so one of the key things that that our students are always looking for is uh clarity you know ambiguity is is the thief of opportunity um, so one of the things that we work with employers to help them to make really clear to students is what are we looking for? How does this work? What, what are the different stages? What should you expect? And, and all these things are often um, absolutely known and understood on the business side. But there's an assumption that everybody knows how this sort of thing works. Everybody knows how an assessment centre works or people should have a good understanding that there may be in a in a competitive graduate program for example five six stages to go through but it's often simply not not clear not spelt out um the buddies that in businesses that that work with our students uh, to support them through processes are invaluable not just in giving transformative advice to students to help them to make successful applications but in taking that advice back into the business to say you know i was asked about uh, travel costs and it wasn't when i said this yes of course this is possible i've looked at the information and it's not very clear mm. or i at my the student i'm working with has been asked to be uh, in london at nine o'clock on a monday morning and i've found out he's proposing to get the megabus uh, at 3am because it's the most affordable way to get here uh, we don't want that he won't perform well yeah can we make that clear that you can ask for a different interview time given that you've got to travel it's intensely practical often it's very small small changes small amounts of money uh tiny tweaks and very practical but these can make the, the most enormous difference um, and they help that kind of feedback loop can can really help improve that understanding of, as, as you said earlier on, that context, the context in which a person is operating that that may make the most enormous difference to their ability to show you what they could do for you if you were able to support them. Um, and of course, it's it's in those intensely practical things as you bring them together, they also start to build confidence in a business that this is making change for the better. We saw some great examples of changes to recruitment during the pandemic, 
forced by circumstance that actually businesses have have found have been really positive. Uh, a big example being that PwC and Santander, big organisations, big recruitment intakes, who uh, during the pandemic, because of the disruption to education, because of the uh, because exams and assessments were disrupted, cancelled, and, and alternatives were put in place, they withdrew requirements for minimum grades for for, for grades at all uh, in their recruitment processes for their big graduate and school leaver programs. They thought they were doing that because of the pandemic, because of the circumstances, and and they were, but they haven't gone back mm. because they didn't find a deterioration in quality or capability. They didn't find they'd recruited young people who weren't able to be successful. They didn't find drops in productivity. They didn't find damage to retention at the end of time. And so those kind of big changes have have delivered the results that you would want, a broader talent pool with the same quality retention productivity. What is not to like about that? And so nice. the other thing the index gives you is it gives you the chance to see those case studies and say, I feel more confident about us taking that risk because if PwC and Santander are taking that risk, it, it can't be a niche uh, and, and peculiar thing to do. And I think this is a, a really important point. It links to a lot of what we do at the REC, which is about getting companies to think about when they're hiring it is not a standard product spec you know it's not you're not buying paper clips labor is not a commodity each individual is different has different strengths and different weaknesses and different uh, growth potential so you have to deal with processes as as a, as human beings and in doing that therefore everything you do in a process has some potential for bias um, and refreshing looking at what you're doing and having the kind of gumption not to be passive about making change where it isn't quite working for you, where you think you could do more. That feels like an important push, and especially in a labour market like the one we have now, where realistically, the the UK's labour market is going to be tight for 20 years. You know, the baby boomers have retired or are retiring. Uh, birth rates f have been lower through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Um, there is a, a smaller domestic labour force. Uh, so even just economically, it doesn't make sense to be locking anyone out at this point. Um, but I suppose for firms, you're always going to have to persuade people who are persuaded not by the story, but by the numbers. And you've hinted that some of these big examples that you've worked with have uh, demonstrated the validity of what they've done. Why Why does the data matter in this? Why does measuring matter? Yes, indeed, as you say, this is a, a minds and hearts uh, case for, for change and improvement. And, and actually, it's, it's really important when we talk about social mobility that we we think about numbers we think about the objective measurements because um social class it's not a protected characteristic in the equality act it's, it's not a legal requirement 
uh, that firms collect this data or or manage these biases. And it, it can often worry people that when we talk about what can be intensely personal, intensely uncomfortable concepts like being working class or the kind of family you grew up in, it, these can feel sensitive, difficult areas. It, it can feel as though it's not objective. But in fact, we know that we have objective measures of socioeconomic background. Asking in your workforce, in, in recruitment data collection about what the main household earner was was doing as a job when you were growing up is an objective measure. And we've got good data to compare that across the workforce across different sectors and businesses and using that data to identify where your your attraction your intake your outreach your progression your experienced hiring where where is it is it where you want it to be is it behind your competitors is it narrowing your pool um, but also using that data to measure the impact of the changes that you want to make and absolutely, I've identified, you know, businesses want to, of course, they should pay attention to retention, to productivity, to performance. You know, we, we shouldn't be afraid to subject social mobility to these kind of analysis because it stands up really well every time a business makes big or small changes. You know, the impact is positive. That's a really great and positive place to leave it. And the thing I'd draw out, particularly from what you've just said, is kind of acknowledging that it won't be perfect um so that thing how do you compare with your competitors actually one of the ways you find that out is you're a bit more open about the challenge uh, and i think in in business we're often a bit scared of admitting that there's a challenge one of the things that i think some of the cultural change around reporting on gender pay for instance has done in the last decade is make it more all right for government uh, for um uh, for chief execs and for uh, FDs to say, well, this is where we are. It's not ideal. It's not what we want. These, this is what we're doing. And setting that out on a comply or explain basis is a really powerful tool. But you need the the data to be able to do that. Sarah, that's been fantastic, um, fascinating discussion. If people want to find a bit more about the Social Mobility Foundation, but also about the index, where should they look? Yes, we'd we'd love. Uh, if, if anyone's listening to this feels inspired, feels like they've found uh, an, an area they want to make progress on, we'd love to hear from you. You can find out more about the, the foundation and our work as a charity on our website, um, socialmobility.org.uk. Uh, there's information on there about the index in particular. We will be opening for entries for 2024 uh, in a couple of months. Uh, mid-March and we've actually got webinars running in February as an introduction to the index for anyone who is is new is exploring the possibility of entering for the first time and wants to know what do you get how does it work and wants that reassurance exactly as you've just said Neil this is not about um, chucking rocks at you for not being perfect this is about advice and support to take you through your journey um, there'll be one on the 7th of February and one on the 21st of February. All the details again are on our website. So, yeah, come and find us, register your interest. We would love to involve you in the index and we'd love to give you 
more support and more advice so that you can make more change so that the young people we work with get what they deserve. Fantastic, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much, Neil. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this episode of Talking Recruitment. Uh, if you have enjoyed this and you fancy getting in touch, seeing some of your fellow recruiters, having a chat with them and with our team, we're out around the country in February. Uh, you can come and see us in Newcastle on the 1st of February. It's our REC Cymru uh, National Forum in Cardiff on the 8th of February. We're in Nottingham on the 27th of February and the REC Scotland uh, National Forum is on the 29th of February. As is traditional, I'll be there. Uh, uh, so it's the night after Heart of Midlothian have played at home. That's the way that gets scheduled. Uh, the Education Sector Group is also meeting on the 27th of February. And remember to hold that date of the 25th of June in your diary for the big REC conference in London this summer. If you haven't quite had enough podcasting after Sarah's fantastic input to this one, why not try our last episode? That's episode 26 uh, with Matthew Rag of... Uh, Gattaca, where we're talking about changing the story, both changing the story in a recruitment business, turning it around the work he's been doing at Gattaca, but also improving performance on diversity in STEM uh, sectors, which, of course, is uh, the field in which Gattaca work. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the podcast. Delighted you found time to listen in. And I'll look forward to talking to you again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.